Well, for many months now, we have been journeying our way through the book of Exodus. It has been exciting. It has been gripping. It has been filled with amazing events of God's love and God's faithfulness to his people, the people that he has made a covenant with, that he would say, I am always your God and you will always be my people. And each week as Devin and I have made our way through this book when we're up here speaking um, since uh, beginning of, I think it was February, each week we've kind of recapped just the, the story of Exodus. And maybe, maybe that just, you just keep hearing it over and over again, but the purpose for doing that is to weekly remind you of the good news of the gospel, which is so prominent and so clear in the book of Exodus. And so as I just remind you once again, just don't think back historically, but think back, think ahead to, to this is the gospel. This is what the Lord has done in the lives of people that he loves. And it is what the Lord has done in our lives as well. And so when we, when we make our way through the Old Testament, we want to see again and again Christ in the Old Testament. So what we see here in Exodus is God has delivered Israel from slavery to now serve Him rather than the dead God of Pharaoh's Egypt. Through the shedding of the Passover blood that we saw early in Exodus, God spares Israel's life. Through his mighty power, he saves them from death as he parts the waters of the Red Sea, destroying Pharaoh's army with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God leads them out of the land of bondage. He provides water for them. He provides food for them. He provides protection from them, from the Amalekite army. And eventually he leads them through a number of wildernesses to the Sinai wilderness, to the mountain, Mount Sinai, where they meet with God as God comes down on the mountain, as he draws near to his people to speak to them. That's the story we have been studying. And we are, last week we finished up the Ten Commandments, and this morning this, this message is, is, is working towards helping bring a summary of that, in a sense, just a, a capstone to say, okay, he, here's, here's what that's all about, because we don't want to walk away from just having spent weeks in each of these commandments, each of the Ten Commandments, having spent this time and walk away thinking, okay, I've learned the rules of the Ten Commandments. Because that's not what it's about. It's about the grace of God. It's about the grace of God revealed, revealed in these commandments to the people of God for their safety, for their protection, to keep them near to God. So even as God finishes speaking the Ten Commandments, this event is not quite over. Israel must respond to these words from God. And, and respond they do, as we will read, but, but not as we anticipate. So look with me in Exodus 20 and verse 18. It 
Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that, you that the fear of Him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Father, Father, help us to not stand far off this morning, but help us to draw near. Lord, not fearful of Your wrath and judgment, but at peace because of Your Son, Jesus Christ, and all that He has done for us through His life and death and resurrection. And help us, Father, to hear You speak to us this morning through Your Word. May Your Word be life to us this morning. May we be encouraged by Your Word. May we be strengthened by Your Word. May we be refreshed by Your Word. That we may obey Your Word for Your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Earlier in Exodus 19.18, Israel declares, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And as they anticipated God's descent on to Mount Sinai, they had to be restrained from getting too close. God tells Moses, don't let the people come too close to the mountain, lest they die. It was... It was a desire to care for the people of God. But as God descends on Mount Sinai, as he comes down, Israel discovers something about God, and they discover something about themselves that creates terror in their hearts. And rather than draw near, they respond as we saw in this verse today. They stand far off and they tell Moses, listen, we, we don't want God to speak to us. We want you to speak to us. That, that's much, much better. And in this account of Israel's response to this event, it's a response that reveals really the ignorance they have of God's gracious and kind and good and loving character. And their ignorance as they will discover, of their own sin. It is an account where we have a window into the displays of God's grace in, in three places, in three ways. On the mountain, in the message, and through the mediator. And the first one I want to look at is that we see God's grace on the mountain. In 19, Exodus 19, just the chapter before, and, verse, and all the way through 2018, God comes down on the mountain. Now, Israel is camped at the foot of Mount Sinai, and God takes the next step in his relationship with them. He, he comes to Israel. Israel has been 
consecrated or set apart as a covenant people, as we saw in chapter 19. And now that they have been set apart, now that they've been sanctified, so to speak, consecrated, uh, God draws near to them and speaks these 10 commandments. And what it first was this exciting moment. God is coming. We are drawing near and we have to be restrained from coming near to God, coming near the mountain. It soon becomes this terrifying experience as God powerfully speaks his word to them. Now, out of, out of his, again, his desire for, safe, for safety for Israel, God tells them, you know, don't come near. And this is 1912, uh, and you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot or whether beast or man, he shall not live. God is saying, look, I know you, the people will be excited. I know they will be, they, they want to draw near, but, but don't let them do so. And then God comes. And it, it's what called, it's called a theophany. It's simply a manifestation of God's presence to our human senses. It's God revealing himself. It's God expressing himself. And in, and in this moment, Israel experiences sensory overload. 1916, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. So, so, all, so immediately when God's presence comes, Israel is, is beginning to, to take a step back. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp and Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. When my grandson was four years old, my son and his wife took him to a 4th of July evening, and they were all excited about seeing the fireworks. And when the fireworks went off, Sam went in the total opposite. He ran as fast and as far screaming as he could because of the sound and ended up, Dave and Ann had to put headphones on him called Defenders so that Sam would not hear the noise. And that's what's happening with Israel here. The, the mountain is quaking. It is smoking. God's come down in fire. And when he speaks, everything changes this sensory overload. And more importantly, what Israel discovers is as the Ten Commandments are given, they discover who they are. They discover who they are. It is a stunning revelation of them being a sinful people and God being a holy God. That's what's discovered when these Ten Commandments are given. And with all that is happening, though, in the midst of this, they miss the grace of God as they are overwhelmed by His power and by His holiness on Mount Sinai. And it soon becomes a mountain of terror, which is not what it was supposed to be. Israel stands before the mountain of the Lord, and they're listening to His voice as the Ten Commandments are given. And it is a thundering and it's a powerful voice. Now, under and be aware, 
God came down, all this happened, and then he gives the Ten Commandments. It isn't as though the mountain shaking and the trumpets blaring and the fire and the smoke, it was going on as the Ten Commandments are being spoken. So it wasn't just, you shall not murder. It was, you shall not fire murder. All ten. What they experienced on the mountain is not what they were hoping for. Israel comes face to face with God, the God who dwells on the mountain. And in the initial excitement of God visiting that might have initially tempted them to draw near, not now. And the more God speaks, the more terrified they become and to the point where when it's all done, now when the people, all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpets and the mountain smoking, they were afraid and they trembled and they stood far off. That was the mountain. It became, to them, a mountain of terror, but it was not. They failed to realize it was a mountain of grace because Mount Sinai is more than a mountain of terror. It represents God's nearness. It represents God's nearness. The Lord has drawn near to Israel as he descends. He speaks to Israel. He secures his covenant relationship with Israel. They are now his covenant people. It's a place where he expresses his love for Israel. These are not just, it's not just any group of people. These are God's treasured possession. 19, chapter 19, verse 5 and 6. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. Those are stunning words. The God of creation, the God of all the universe, the God of this mountain, the God of this fire, the God of this thunder, the God of this smoke, this God says, you'll be my treasured possession. That's how much I love you, how much I I care for you. It's on this mountain where they learn more about the grace of God than they could have ever imagined. It's a mountain where gospel truth is spoken to them. At the beginning of prior to just speaking the Ten Commandments, God reminds them of 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 the gospel of grace. And God spoke all these words in verse 20, uh, chapter 20, verse 1. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That's gospel. That's deliverance. That's freedom from bondage. It is, it is the gospel that God says, look, here's, here's the gospel truth before you get the law. Here is grace before law. But Israel, after the law is given, I think they forget. I think they forget. Mount Sinai is not 
just some way station in the wilderness that, that Israel stumbles upon as they're making their way to the promised land. It's the mountain of God where the Lord promised Moses, these people will be brought to this mountain. And when they come, they will serve me and they will worship me. And that only happens if God has transformed them. That only happens if gospel grace has been extended to them that they become the people of God. And that's what this mountain represents. It doesn't represent terror. It doesn't represent just the power and holiness of God. It represents the grace of God to a people who did not deserve it. Rather than a mountain of terror, it is a mountain of God's saving grace. That's the, that's the first thing that, that Israel should discover is that it is a mountain of grace. Secondly, it's a message of grace. These Ten Commandments that we've studied for weeks now, they are, they're not just law, they're grace. Now, the scene is overwhelming. God's voice is more than Israel bargained for. And the... And his power and his majesty are, are felt in every word of the Ten Commandments he speaks. But it, it just increases their terror even more. And as each commandment is spoken and God's power is on display and all this shaking goes on and this theophany is stirring their heart to fear, the message of the Ten Commandments is getting lost in their, in their emotion and their fear. The message of the Ten Commandments, its purpose was to reveal, to help each of us understand, each of those in Israel understand the true state of their heart. Listen, what did Paul say in Romans 7? He said the law revealed his heart. He said, I did not know what coveting was until I read, do not covet, and saw in my own heart that I was coveting. That, that was grace. That was an expression of God's love. And that's what the message of the law is. It, it's not primarily thunder and lightning and smoke and trumpets and shaking and, and, and people that shake, but it's, it's being confronted with the truth of God's law and the truth of their own hearts because Israel comes to realize in the Ten Commandments that God demands holiness. And at that moment, as this law is rightly understood, they become aware of how unholy they are before this very holy God. Matthew Henry describes it this way in his commentary. He says, The extraordinary terror with which the law was given never was anything delivered with such awful pomp. And every word was accented and every sentence paused with thunder and lightning, much louder and brighter, no doubt, than ordinary. And why was the law given in this dreadful manner and with all this tremendous ceremony? It was designed, once for all, to give a sensible discovery of the glorious majesty of God for the assistance of our faith concerning it, that, knowing the terror of the Lord, we may be persuaded to live in his fear." It was a specimen of the terrors of the general judgment in which sinners will be called to account for the breach of this law. The archangel's trumpet will then sound the alarm to give notice of the judge's coming and a fire shall devour him. 
It was an indication of the terror of those convictions which the law brings into conscience to prepare the soul for the comforts of the gospel. Henry is saying, listen, this whole scene, this whole experience, this mountain shaking and smoke billowing and fire coming and trumpets blaring, that is a picture of judgment day. And apart from knowing God, that day is a day of terror. But if you are one of God's people, if you know God, it is not a day of terror. It is a celebration of grace. It is a comfort because of the gospel. That's what the Ten Commandments were meant to do. To reveal our unholiness and show us God's holiness and lead us to comfort of the gospel because God is the one who saves. Again, that's what Paul discovered in Philippians 3. Paul says, listen, I, I, I was perfect as to the law. I was perfect. In other words, I kept the commandments. But they, that was all rubbish, Paul goes on to say. And as we said in Romans 7, he discovers, oh yeah, it wasn't just I kept the law outwardly. When I get to the 10th commandment, it's not about what happens outwardly, it's about what happens inwardly. I covet. I, I want something in my heart. Somebody came to me this morning and said, listen, I, I, I just want you to know I, I still do struggle with coveting because I, I covet ice cream and I covet pizza. I said, yeah, well, we all covet minor things. Um, but but I, I'll, you know, talk to the Lord about that. I'll release you. Uh, I, I covet ice cream too. Uh, Paul recognized who he was by the law. And it was grace to him because it showed him his need for a Savior. Now, this message of the law was not given to highlight Israel's and our failure to keep it, but more importantly, to display grace to lawbreakers. The law is a comfort when it leads to the gospel. And Moses declares to Israel in 2020, he says this after the law is given. He says, listen, do not fear. Do not fear. This law was not given to make you fear in one way, but to fear in another. Do, Do not fear the judgment and wrath of God. Because God has come to you. Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Now, it's a bit of a paradox here. Do not fear that you may fear. It is a bit of a paradox. Uh, fearing, Fearing God's gracious presence is wrong. That's what Moses is saying. Don't fear the presence of God. He's come to you. But fearing for his Fearing for judgment, the judgment that he he puts upon sin is right. And it is to keep you from sinning. Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. It's to protect you. The law was given to, to safeguard you from the ravages and destruction of sin. The message of the Ten Commandments is to be a means of grace to protect Israel from 
the catastrophe and destruction and ultimately the final judgment of God against the sinner. J.A. Mateer says this, he said, The people's fear, however understandable, in such an awesome setting was wholly improper. The marks and notes of grace, covenant, promise, welcome, redemption, and the sheltering wings of the God of Israel were plainly visible and audible. That's what we see in the Ten Commandments. That's what we see. Notes of grace, notes of covenant, notes of promise, notes of welcome, notes of redemption under the sheltering wings of God. Grace on the mountain, grace in the message, and finally, grace through the mediator. I I have a dentist appointment this week. I hate visiting the dentist. I know it's wrong to hate the dentist because I'm sure he's a fine man, hopefully. But being in a dental chair, to me, is one of the most intense experiences It doesn't matter that they put me in a vibrating chair and they put headphones on me to, here's this wonderful music to keep you real happy while I'm making holes in your teeth. No, the moment they come at me with this hook and whatever sharp instruments they have and they start this high-pitched whirring drill, it's like people scraping spoons on a chalkboard. And I come out of the dentist's office just totally undone. I want out of there as quickly as possible. It is, it is as, it, Marilyn knows, she's watched me. She's been with me. I'm like a four-year-old. She has to hold my hand. I sweat in the dentist chair. Um, these are evil people is what they are. And, and no videos. We are not taking a video. And, and so it, it's just getting away. When, when, the, when we're done with the dentist, uh, and, I, and I subject myself to this twice a year. That's the thing. I go back twice a year for, for teeth cleaning. I want you to know, Israel feels the same way. It is, it is like the dentist to them. It is root canal work. This is, this is intense. The moment they see their sinful state, they want out, they want distance from God, and they can only find relief by doing one thing. They plead for a mediator. They say, listen, Moses, stand in the way. You speak to us. You represent us to God. We, you go near to God, not us. We, we see who we are. Instead of responding to God's invitation to draw near, they move further away. And from a distance, they're willing to listen. They're willing to obey His voice, but not hearing from Him personally. They want this mediator. They need this mediator. Israel needed a mediator. And God had, had planned this all along. And, and now it is confirmed. Israel recognizes, yes, we need a mediator. We need Moses. And it is through Moses as Israel's mediator that God begins to express grace to them. It is Moses who says, do not fear. Now Moses is representing God. At that moment, do not fear. God's purpose in displaying his glory and his power and his holiness, Moses is saying, is not to destroy you, but to save you. 
this experience you're having with God is to give you a taste, Moses says, of what is truly going on between you and him that you might forever have in your memory, that it will stick in your memory this moment to keep you from sinning. Because attempting to keep the law on your own will never get you there. The law will not bring salvation to you. When Christian in Pilgrim's Progress is bearing his load, he comes across a man, Mr. Worldly Wise Man. And Mr. Worldly Wise Man says, where are you going? And Christian says, to the celestial city, I'm going that I might have this burden which is representing sin. I'm going to have this burden removed from my, my life. And worldly wise men says, hey, there's a much better way. There's a much easier way. And it's up on that mountain. There's a man up there named Mr. Legality. And he'll remove your burden. All you have to do is just get up the mountain. And so Christian thinks, well, that, that will work. And so he starts to make his way up the mountain and fire comes out of the mountain. And Bunyan is clear that it represents Mount Sinai. And thankfully, thankfully, evangelist comes along and rescues Christian from this terrible mistake of thinking that he could get up the mountain of legality and take care of his burden by himself. And that is what a mediator Moses is telling us here. We can't get rid of the burden by ourselves. Keeping the Ten Commandments, keeping the law is not what will save us. We need someone to stand before a holy God on our behalf and plead our case. Be an advocate for us before the judge of all the earth. Moses' job as mediator was to encourage the people, yes, to keep God's law, that they might live under the blessing of obedience. He encourages them not to fear because God's intention is not to destroy them, but to save them. Moses Moses was a serious expression of God's grace to Israel. But understand this, in verse 21, it says, the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Moses goes up to the mountain to talk with God on behalf of the people. He goes to this thick darkness. But understand this, Moses needed a mediator as well. Because Moses was human and he was a sinner. And so in that in that place, in that place of darkness, in that place of God's presence, there was another mediator standing there. And that mediator is the one who stands before God on our behalf. That mediator is Jesus Christ who protects us from God's holy judgment. It is Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God. Israel experienced God's saving grace at the Passover as lambs were slaughtered and blood was shed that the angel of death might pass over the households that had been covered by that blood. But the Passover blood was not once for all. 
it soon becomes evident that Israel will fail again and again. They will disobey this law. They will break this law again and again. And they will need a mediator. They will need a mediator. Priests who will slaughter lambs day after day for the sins of the people. Mediator, these mediators are a gift from God, a gift of grace to God's people to protect them from the judgment and wrath of God. But that plan that Israel, is, it, it was temporary. It was limited and it covered only one group of people, God's covenant people of Israel. God's final plan is one of grace that far exceeds what Israel experienced. That plan is the shed blood of one perfect sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ, who took on the flesh of humanity, brothers and sisters. He took on the suffering of humanity. He took on the pain of humanity. He took on the sins of humanity. And finally, he took our death. He was the final mediator between man and God, and no more sacrifices are required because of Christ. That is who Moses represents. That is what Moses represents as grace to the people of God. Now, if you have trusted in Christ, he stands before God for you. Like Moses for Israel, but better than Moses. And because you've trusted in Christ, if you have, you're cleansed by his blood. You're forgiven. You're now wearing Christ's robes of righteousness. You are God's child and you are his treasured possession and you are an object of his mercy and his grace. Now, if you have not trusted in Christ, you have no mediator. You need one. And let me appeal to you to run to the only one who can mediate for you. And that is Jesus Christ. Otherwise, on that terrifying day when the mountain will shake and the fire will be coming out and the smoke will be billowing and the trumpets will be sounding, that day of judgment, you will stand before God without a mediator. And it will be a mountain of terror to you. But if Christ stands beside, it will be a mountain of joy and God's grace. What should our response be? You know, over time, as we read through the Old Testament, it became clear that Israel became numb to the daily sacrifices needed to cleanse them from sin. There was the every day, the daily bleeding of sheep, the stench of blood, the carcasses scattered as, as sheep were killed, and it became all too commonplace for Israel. The reality of needing a mediator and needing bloodshed for the forgiveness of their sins became all too commonplace for Israel. And because of this, Israel often lost its way and violated God's law. And at times, the same can be true of us. We can grow familiar with the gospel with the sacrifice of God's Son for our sins. It can become all too commonplace for us. And when it does, our obedience will suffer, our joy will be muted, our faith will be weakened. And like Israel, we will just drift and slowly distance our way from God. 
There is certainly a law to obey. But more importantly, there is grace to be experienced on the mountain and in the message and through the mediator. Just again, a reminder of that wonderful verse in John. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. As we close this morning, the writer of Hebrews records this experience on the mountain. And he says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But the writer of Hebrews goes on, but you have come to the mount, to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who were enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Brothers and sisters, these commandments, they're about grace. Yeah, they're law, but they're about the grace of God. And as we move on in Exodus, let us not move on from understanding the gospel that has run as an undercurrent through every verse in this wonderful narration of the people of Israel. Father, thank you for your grace. Grace that we are unworthy to receive, but made worthy by your Son and his shed blood. Thank you for calling us out to be your children, that we might live under your unfathomable grace. For you are so good to us. Lord, help us. Help us to live as you have called Israel to live obediently, that we might experience the blessings and joy of being near you. In Christ's name, amen.